Now, The Interpreter Show, with discussion, debate, and the latest information on all kinds of religious issues and topics. Welcome to the second hour of the Interpreter Radio Show, sponsored by the Interpreter Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the doctrine, scriptures, history, and practices of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, located at interpreterfoundation.org. That's interpreterfoundation.org. This is our second hour. We have Robert Boylan, Chris Fredrickson. We have Martin Tanner joining us for the second hour, and myself is Bruce Webster. We, uh, after some discussion, decided for the second hour here, what we'd really like to talk about is the issue of how well the current membership knows and understands the Book of Mormon, how closely they are studying it, and what suggestions and resources we have for doing so. Uh, I'm going to start with a, a brief story here. Uh, back in 1957, the... Melchizedek Priesthood Study Guide that the church put out was an approach to the Book of Mormon written by Hugh Nibley. Uh, Dr. Nibley, with, from whom I had a class as an undergrad, is is not necessarily the, the easiest person to follow. And as the story goes, some of the members of the Quorum of the Twelve complained to President McKay, saying, you know, this is very scholarly, this is very dense, you know, do we really want to do this? And President McKay said, Referring to the Melchizedek priesthood holders, let them struggle. Uh, and it's still it's still a great book. I mean, uh, you know, Nibley one would be, would be if you're still alive, be the first to say, well, yeah, that's like seventy years ago. It's there are a lot of things that would change now. But the point is, is that we as a church have tremendous resources for understanding the Book of Mormon, and. I'm afraid that we don't take advantage of this. We, we, there are far too many members of the church who do not take the time beyond reading a chapter of the Book of Mormon today to actually get the information that will help them uh, to understand it. And to that extent, I will quote a, a study, quest, or a study uh, discussion question that Hugh Nibley actually had in that 1957 manual. He said, respond to the following statement. Woe unto the generation that understands the Book of Mormon. And in his subsequent, I think it was 1963 edition, he said, I got a lot of letters from people saying, wasn't that a typo? You know, don't you mean woe unto the generation that does not understand the Book of Mormon? He said, no. He said, at the time of Joseph Smith, Book of Mormon was absolutely foreign to them. The events, the issues, the, the chronicles. He says, when you look around and say, oh, and see increasingly parallels in your own world and civilization to the Book of Mormon, you know how the story ends, and it's not pleasant. Uh, I think the Book of Mormon is absolute. I think this is why, uh, well, I'll tell one more story before we dive into this. I had, you know, I didn't read the Book of Mormon until my freshman year uh, of college, but I fell in love with it. I studied, but, you know, I was studying other stuff, and uh after uh, you know, President Spencer W. Kimball went through a lot of incapacity the last few years of his presidency, and when he finally passed away, and, it, and of course, just tremendous things had happened under President Kimball. 
we had so many changes. We had hope, you know, when the world will be converted. We had additions to the scriptural canon. We had the revelation on priesthood and everything else. And then that all sort of came to a halt during his, his period where the last few years when he's incapacitated, he passed away, President Ezra Taft Benson became president. And I was like, okay, you know, let's, let's see what we're going to have happen next. You know, we're going to gather to Missouri and so on. And President, Mc, President Benson got up in uh, general conference and said, we're under condemnation because we're not reading the Book of Mormon enough. And literally, my, my thought was, really, that's it? Read the Book of Mormon? You know, I've read the Book of Mormon like 20 times. And I, 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 did not, I did not accept that well. I was disappointed. I was disappointed. But by great good chance, shortly after that, I was called to teach gospel doctrine. I was alternating with another teacher. The topic was the Book of Mormon. This was 1988. And after about four lessons, I repented. Uh, and I, I realized how essential and prophetic his, his call for us as a church. He, I mean, he used the phrase out of the book, the DNC, that we as a church are under condemnation because we have forgotten the new everlasting gospel is presented in the Book of Mormon. And ever since then, I have been a Book of Mormon zealot uh, in my study, in my defense of it, in, uh, <clears throat> and in preaching the essential nature of it. So that's that's my tea into this whole topic. We, I think, remain under condemnation if we do not take our Book of Mormon study seriously and if we do not available avail ourselves of the resources. Now, a lot of the topics we have here over the months have been on, and we'll especially have this year, on all the, and all the stuff that's put out as criticisms or attacks on the Book of Mormon, which all of us in this room can tell you is easily refuted. But you can't refute it if you don't study, and especially if you don't study anything beyond the text itself. So that's my whole rant at the lead in here. Uh, go to Robert first. We'll go to Robert because Chris is still looking up stuff here. Robert. Uh, just to, uh, when it comes to, say, the importance of the Book of Mormon, like you referenced it, uh, in Section 84, like a very early revelation, 1832, the Lord is speaking about the wickedness of the church and how it's under a condemnation. And in verse 57, and they, the church, shall remain under this condemnation until they repent and remember the new covenant, even the Book of Mormon, and the former commandments which I have given them, and so forth. So the Book of Mormon does not simply have cosmetic value for Latter-day Saints because like, it makes us different than, say, other groups within the broad Christian spectrum, or like it's simply an additional scripture. You know, as with scripture, though, it's God breed, it gives life, i.e. in times life, and, you know, it has to be interpreted and exegeted yeah. uh, carefully as well. Um, you know, there's some movements out there that have like a very background crazy uh, view of the Book of Mormon now, you know. Um, so it's always important like to make sure we understand the text properly as we do for any text, like say the New Testament or the Doctrine and Covenants and so forth. And as you said, like there's a lot of very good resources, especially those uh, who are on the budget, like a lot of very important free resources out there as well. I'm not sure if you want to start discussing them now, but uh, yeah. Uh, Chris. You'll remember in the um, Book of Mormon in Alma 30, here we have Korahor, an antichrist. And one of the things he's doing, of course, is he's riddling, uh, ridiculing the leaders, and he is trying to 
remind the Nephites at this particular time um, that uh, these leaders, that what they're saying and how they're acting is the effect of a frenzied mind, and this derangement of your mind comes because of the traditions of your father, which lead you into a belief of things which are not so. Now, I mean, this is such a tried and tired argument that we've heard throughout history with regards to, you know, a, um, a, um, a, a, to having a testimony of Jesus Christ. But what's interesting here is that Korahor is going to talk to the people and he's going to tell them that you believe in, I believe it is, infant baptism. Is that right? So Korhor tells the people, you know, you believe in infant baptism and what an abominable practice this is. And then it mentions, a few, few verses earlier, but then it mentions that many of the people, when they hear that, they leave the church. And I used to ask my students in class, what's wrong with that? What's, what's wrong with what we've just heard there? And very few of them could identify the fact that Korhor was was accusing the church of something, of a doctrine that they did not believe in. Korhor doesn't talk about Is it Korhor? Who is it? Who is the no, other No, the, the infant baptism comes, that, that actually, the Is it Korhor or is it? It's a letter that uh, uh, Moroni gets from Mormon. No, no. Well, then whatever it is, but he, he accused, and, and I'm sorry, and that's what I was trying to look up here. Oh. But he basically, he's, uh, he's saying that this is what the church teaches about this doctrine and it's the complete opposite of what the church believes with regards to this doctrine. And I'll keep looking yeah, for it. Korhor basically accuses them of enriching themselves on the church. Yes. He almost says, we don't take any money. How are we enriching ourselves? And he changes the subject. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I know which prophet. Well, anyways, I'll keep looking for it. Okay. But anyways, but, but, but then I would say to my students, what's wrong here? And it's like he's saying that we believe in this doctrine, but we don't believe in it at all. In fact, we find it repugnant. And this is much of the problem that we see if you don't study the scriptures. Because when you study the scriptures, that you are introduced to the doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which then can provide you as an authoritative source to judge right and wrong. And without that, it's so easy for people to go astray and to kind of step off the cliff. And so we see this throughout, you know, and we're certainly seeing that in the church today. There are so many people, and really I shouldn't say so many people, but there are people that are walking away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they're walking away because they don't understand the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they attribute to the church false beliefs and false sentiments. One of them, of course, is, you know, this is always a hot-button topic in the church, but the practice of homosexuality. We don't have animus towards individuals. I mean, we are commissioned and required to love our fellow human beings. And I've got plenty of young people and friends that I know that are practicing homosexuals that I love them dearly. But I also believe that that sin that they're engaged in just distances them from God. And I can't give you all the ins and outs of it, but it doesn't help us if we don't understand the doctrine and the reason why. And Elder Bednar made it very clear that the practice of chastity and all our beliefs, well, they're certainly articulated in the proclamation on the family, but they're certainly bound up in um, the whole plan of salvation. And central to that, of course, is a husband and wife 
raising children under the covenant. And so this this separates us from God when we engage in these kinds of things. doesn't mean we don't like these people. And you can have same-sex attraction, and that's not a problem in the church today if you don't act on it either. But the notion or idea out there is that we hate homosexuals. That's the If you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ, that's the farthest thing from the truth. So uh, I'm going to keep looking for the reference. Okay. Go ahead. Getting, getting back, and before we yeah. turn, Robert's got some references, uh, resources he's going to talk about, but I— this is Hugh Nibley. This is over 50 years ago. This is 1952 in uh, Lehigh in the Desert. And again, this is this very true statement on part of Nibley, and it's what uh, the last 70 years of Book of Mormon research have, have borne out. He says, the first rule of historical criticism in dealing with the Book of Mormon or any other ancient text is never oversimplify, which, of course, is what almost all Book of Mormon criticism does. For all its simple and straightforward narrative style, this history, referring to the Book of Mormon, is packed as few others are with a staggering wealth of detail that completely escapes the casual reader. The whole Book of Mormon is a condensation and a masterly one. It will take years to sim simply to unravel the thousands of cunning inferences and implications that are wound around its most matter-of-fact statements. Only laziness and vanity lead the student to the early conviction that he has the final answers on what the Book of Mormon contains. With that, Robert. By uh, the way, I found oh. the reference. Do you mind if I jump oh, in? Oh, sure. Okay, here's Korihor, and this is what he's telling the people. Ye say that this people is a free people. Behold, I say they are in bondage. Ye say that those ancient prophecies are true. Behold, I say that you do not know that they are true. And then in verse 25, ye say that this people is a guilty and a fallen people because of the transgression of a parent. Behold, I say that a child is not guilty because of its parents. He's accusing the church of believing in original sin. Yeah, which they don't. Which they do not. And so, then here's verse 18. And thus he did preach unto them, leading away the hearts of many, causing them to lift up their heads in their wickedness, leading away many women and men to commit whoredoms, telling them blah, blah, blah. See, And so that's what happens when you are not familiar with the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're so easily deceived and led away. Robert. Okay, well, I taught Gospel Doctrine, the introduction to Book of Mormon class, two weeks ago, and um, I had a section on free resources. Crowan D. Gray's uh, philosopher of the 20th century, Homer J. Simpson, asking, it's free, right? <laughs> um, there's a bunch of uh, very good resources that are available online, uh, so one does not have to have a book budget to actually avail like, very good scholarly material on the Book of Mormon. Um, the very first reference uh, resource is actually not an earliest source, but it's actually Webster's 1828 Dictionary. And some may be wondering why that's the case, but this is reflective of the English of the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price. To give one example, in First Nephi 16, in, in Alma 63, we read of how the Leahuna and Hagoth were said to be curious, you know, a curious man of curious workmanship. Uh, that might seem like very odd, just like that may seem like peculiar or weird, but in the 19th century English, it meant skilled. So the Leahone is being described as being skilled in terms of its workmanship. Hagod is said to be not curious as in like investigative, but actually skilled vis-a-vis -vis shipbuilding ability. So like Webster's Antrinic Dictionary um, would be a very good resource to understand the English of the Book of Mormon. There's Scripture Central, particularly Book of Mormon Central, um, <laughs> that have like loads of resources uh, on... The Book of Mormon, like uh, they also have evidence in Central. They also have like books and chapters, copyright friendly, on various books and articles on the Book of Mormon, like the works of the late John Tretinus, who was an excellent Book of Mormon scholar. 
Um, they also have an app, a Scripture Plus app for those who use apps on the phones. It's very good. I will also note, like, I hate with a passion TikTok, but Jasmine Rapidly does an excellent job doing the Scripture Central TikTok page. Um, I often tell her, like, um, nuke all of it except your page. Um, but yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a group out in Holiday, Utah. I think maybe one or two people have heard of this rather obscure group, uh, the B.H. Roberts Foundation, a.k.a. Mormonor, uh, that has a crazy Irish guy as one of their senior research analysts. But uh, joking aside, uh, we have some articles in Book of Mormon, like Book of Mormon Racism. And later this year, there will be a massive... Uh, resource on Book of Mormon anachronisms that will be dropping soon. Um, so be on the other look for that. There's, of course, the Interpreter Foundation. Um, how many volumes are we up to 60. Now? They're up to 60 up volumes. To, yeah, 60 <laughs> volumes over a decade, all free. Now, yeah. you can't get them in print, but like all the articles are free. They're all Just, online. Yep. You, you can look mm-hmm. them all up. Uh, yeah. If you go to, to Books and articles. Yeah. Yep. So, like, uh, there's a treasure trove. Like, um, most only a few weeks ago, my friend Neil Rapidly had an 80 plus page uh, article on Nahum uh, published. So, like, uh, there's a lot of really good stuff there. And of course, there's this radio show, usually on K Talk, Sunday, to 7 to 9, that we'll be discussing Book of Mormon. And also on YouTube, there's like old gospel doctrine study classes as well. Uh, with that features people like Ben McGuire and others who have done very good work as well. And there's also the BYU Religious Studies Center that has the BYU studies, but also, again, books and articles, copyright-friendly on Book of Mormon issues and other topics as well. I will also note, like, when it comes to the text of the Book of Mormon, there's two resources. There's the Joseph Smith Papers, where you can actually see scans and transcriptions of the original and printer's manuscripts of the Book of Mormon, which is a very cool thing just to see anyway and study. But there's also a source, and I think you had the electronic version up there. I did. Raul Skousen's The Book of Mormon, The Earliest Text, uh, the second edition came out in 2022, but I believe on the Book of Mormon Central's website, there's the first edition, copyright-friendly, that's available as well. So one doesn't actually have to drop like um, any money on that. And also on the Interpreter Foundation website, we actually have a six-part, 4,000-plus analysis of textual variants in the Book of Mormon. Yeah. So the, uh, I often joke, uh, like, uh, Oliver Cadre sneezes in, like, typos, something, and Skousen will have, like, five pages just on that. <laughs> but it's very thorough, yes. but, like, if one wants to understand, like, say, textual criticism yes. of the Book of Mormon, you know, um, Skousen did a very good job. His approach to textual criticism is very similar to, like, say, how biblical scholars like Emmanuel Tove does textual criticism of the Hebrew manuscripts. Yeah. It's that sound and that very careful. And although I disagree with one of two of these um, conjectural emendations in the text, overall, it's a very good resource. And I do like the fact he actually has sense lines that makes the uh, text uh, run very smoothly as well. And again, it's a very good resource as well for those who want to read the Book of Mormon in a different manner. I, By the way, I'll point out... Uh I forget what I was going to point out. Martin, you've been silent. Give us your thoughts on this. I have a few comments here. Yeah. There are two ways that I have found over the years that young people often have doubts about the church and leave. Because I still get emails from parents and others who ask questions about this, people who, who listen to my radio show. And one of those is if they see critical stuff and they don't know where to get an answer and that is happening just as much today as it did 20 or 30 or 40 years ago and one of the resources that hasn't been mentioned yet that is really good on that point is fairlatterdaysaints.org if you have a sibling or a child or a spouse or a friend or somebody who says, 
you know, Joseph Smith was horrible because of this, or Brigham Young had these destroying angels who were taking people, you know, all these bizarre things that are just, that are just not true. And, and you think, how can I find out how to respond to this? There will be a response on FairLatterdaySaints.org because they have now, that, that sprung out of Jack Welch's original criticisms project. And, and there are now over 35,000 responses to criticisms of the church and its history and its leaders. And so if someone has a question, that is a great resource. Another place, another context for which um, church youth leave is, is because they don't have as much of a context for the Book of Mormon. And I think here... <coughs> Everything that um, that interpreter does is wonderful, because I remember at a, one of the second or third uh, annual banquets that that farms had the statesman. But President Iring, back when he was Elder Iring, was speaking and he said words to the effect of, "None of the research about the historicity of the Book of Mormon is going to." Make it so that someone has a testimony, but it can give them a context, a legitimate, intellectually complete context for their testimony of the Book of Mormon. And that is so true. If you were trying to get a testimony about something and you didn't have a context for it, it isn't as strong just as going to the Holy Land will give one a stronger testimony or strengthen it of Jesus and his life and ministry. Reading the Book of Mormon will give someone a much stronger testimony of the divinity of Jesus Christ and of the truth of the restored gospel. And so the context for the Book of Mormon is enhanced by the historicity uh, scholarly research that that interpreter does, and it also and and once somebody believes that it's possible, I've had. I'll start here. I've had dozens of people over the years say, "I can't believe in the Book of Mormon." There's absolutely no evidence that it ever happened. And if you start to rattle them all off, then they oh they start to take it a little more seriously, and that is something that happens with youth as well. If they don't think there's any evidence because someone told them that on the internet and then you can provide them with the evidence, all of a sudden they take it more seriously. And those are those are important things. The, the final comment that I'll have here is that everyone studies the Book of Mormon in different ways. Everyone should study the Book of Mormon in different ways. We shouldn't all go lockstep. Somebody might find different aspects that the third Nephi might spring to mind for someone. Somebody might just be fascinated with different ideas or context. Study it in your own way, but make sure that whatever you study, the goals that you have bring you to a testimony of Jesus and the restored gospel. If you do that, whatever your methodology, if it works for you, may God bless you. I'm going to Ask Robert in a second to talk about the Anachronisms Project at BH Roberts Foundation, because I think that's a very important one. 
But I do want to point out there, there are a fair number of attacks. I see this on Twitter a lot about how Joseph Smith created the Book of Mormon. And the attacks are all ahistorical. In other words, they, 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 they you know, it's like, well, you know, Hiram or uh, Alvin Smith or Hiram Smith, I guess they said, went to Princeton University. Uh, therefore, he had all the scholarly backgrounds. It's like, no, he had, he went to, uh, Robert, you mentioned this, I think, uh, one or two things ago. He, he, he went, went to a prep academy. Yeah, he went to a prep yeah. academy for okay. a year or two. That's mm-hmm. not going to Princeton mm-hmm. University. Uh, but. Oh, we got all the stuff from the Manchester Library. Well, yeah, if you oh, yeah. look into it, there are like 23 books yeah. in the whole library. And none of them had anything to do with with the Book of Mormon topics. Well, and let's be honest, the great body of evidence for the f- historicity of the Book of Mormon are modern. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they had no idea of 90% of the evidence that is out there now proving that this was certainly a text that was divinely inspired. You can, you can, you know, provide no other explanation for it simply because of all of the research and findings and apocryphal documents yeah. and, you know, word studies, and we could go on and on and on. And so it's ludicrous to make that argument. Now, I, I was I was going to point out <clears throat> Michael McKay's book, From Darkness Unto Light, Joseph Smith's Translation and Publication of the Book of Mormon, because this basically builds a fence over around what can actually be argued, because it is so well documented historically you know, here's, we know exactly who was here. This is when this was produced. This is when this happened. And all your various al- alternative descriptions tend to break out of that fence one way or the other. They just aren't supported historically. So that's that's an honest goodness book worth talking about. But Robert, Anachronisms in the Book of Mormon. Tell us about you, B.H. Roberts. Uh, before I do, it's okay. just like a good resource to go with the uh, From Darkness to Light book. And this is actually available for free on the Book of Mormon Central website. Uh, Trentness's book, The Book of Mormon and Other Hidden Books, okay. uh, Darkness Under Light. Um, he kind of shows like how the coming forward of the Book of Mormon with respect to, say, mountain repositories, plates, stone boxes, and so forth, it all matches what we know from antiquity when it comes to buried uh, texts and they're coming forth. So even when it comes to, say, the basic narrative of the Book of Mormon, it has like the marks of antiquity and verisimilitude, and it kind of uh, ties in nicely with the uh, From Darkness into the Light book uh, yeah. when it comes to the coming forward book more on. So when it comes to, say, the Anachronisms Project at the uh, B.H. Roberts Foundation, uh, before I do, special shout out to Matt Robert because he's working on like an article himself for Scripture Central that should be published this year on like 100 plus purported anachronisms he's been working on over the years. He shared with me a draft copy and has like about 700 notes. Ex- explain to our listeners what, what you mean by anachronisms in the Book of Mormon. Sure. Anachronism <laughs> is basically something that uh, is out of place for the uh, time and history of a text. Uh, for instance, in one of Shakespeare's plays, there's mention of a uh, ticking uh, clock. But of course, that's out of place um, for the time period because uh, ticking clocks was um, a uh, modern invention around Shakespeare's time. And it's been set around the time of um, English came before that time. That would be an example of it. Or like if you were to read like say a text purporting to be like say the Gospel of Philip or something like that, or and it mentions like mobile phones. You know that would be like an example, um, a rather obvious example of an anachronism. So like since even uh, the time the uh, Book of Mormon was published, critics like Alexander Campbell and others like M. T. Lamb have argued that the Book of Mormon contains anachronisms when it comes to say animals, plants, technology metallurgy and cultural issues like one popular one um is like the guardian and robbers are basically like veiled references to 19th century anti-masons uh, or masonry i should say a la dan vogel so like um at the bh roberts foundation at the moment we are working on a project where um 
we document, like, say, the earliest uh, criticisms of the Book of Mormon with respect to, say, a certain charge, show, like, some modern critics as well, like the Tanners or Vogel, and also the scholarly literature on the topic surveying the uh, status of the question at the moment. And we'll be doing that for, like, absolutely every single purported anachronism since day one. Uh, when you see animals, plants, metals, and a number of other things. Yeah. In fact, we actually had Brent Garner in the office uh, for like an hour or two on uh, Thursday, and we were briefly chatting about like how to go about the uh, project. But at the moment, there's about 1,400 or so records on the uh, system at the moment. Um, there should be a bit more once it's finished, but the uh, article itself will like um, give an overview of the course and a link to like see the scholarly uh, literature, often from non-Latter-day Saints, on the um, particular topic. So it should be the most thorough um, and free resource and book more anachronisms um, that's being produced so far. And here's here's why it's important, because the the earliest criticisms of the Book of Mormon really to the present day is, oh, this is ridiculous. This could never <laughs> happen. And the arguments that were mustered about them have, have just fallen away. In other words, the curious thing about the Book of Mormon is that the arguments against it have been falling away since its publication in 1830. There have been fewer, inf- yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, this never happens. You know, the Mayan, you know, Central America, the Mayans were peaceful. Well, no, actually, they were, <laughs> they were, they had war all the time and they had big, as we've discovered just in the last few years, big cities with fortifications and highways, things exactly as described in the Book of Mormon. Martin. Yes, one of the earliest criticisms was what? Golden plates? Plates of metal, you know, and now now that's so commonplace, nobody ever brings up that criticism. It's you even have a copper scroll in the Dead Sea Scrolls and many examples in the old and new world and famous museums like the Peabody Museum. One of the best examples of that is, and I'll bring this up because Robert will like this, the Studies of the Book of Mormon by P.H. Roberts, the things that he was worried about or that he didn't have a response to. We can just knock those down now. It, it's it's just amazing that we have information now that has never been available before. And the, I'm unaware of a single of a single anachronism criticism that really holds water anymore. Yeah. I think Brant Gardner says he's, there's still some metallurgic issues that he has, but. I have some information on that. Ah. We should talk. <laughs> Chris, you've been silent for a while because we haven't given you the microphone. <laughs> no, I want to go back to kind of ground zero here. <clears throat> We're talking about things that are rather erudite in many respects, people that perhaps have studied and want to do a little deeper dive. But I want to talk about the possibilities of anybody and everybody understanding the Book of Mormon and how easily it can be accessed and how easily, how easy it is to study the scriptures in our day. Now, this is a little crass here, but I can remember a Leaf Society president years ago when I was first married and we'd moved back to California. And she got up and said, anyone can read the Book of Mormon every day. Just keep a copy in the bathroom. And that stuck with me forever. But really, in the world that we live in today, which is a podcast world, you know, my son listens to Interpreter, um, and to our podcast while he's out working in the yard. <laughs> My daughter-in-law, anyone can listen to the Book of Mormon while they're chopping carrots, while they're folding clothes, while they're mopping the floors. The access and availability of the scriptures is absolutely astounding. 
We can listen to a conference talk. We can watch a conference talk. We can see the emotion on their face. We can hear the emotion in their voice. We can tap into the spirit so easily. And with regard to podcasts and things that are out there, they're just replete. The problem these days is not finding information about the Book of Mormon, good commentaries, whatever. The problem is that there are so many that are good commentaries. Where do you start? That are faith-based, LDS, faith-based, you know, faithful gospel, faithful commentaries. Um, <clears throat> there's, I, you know, I love Shakespeare now, uh, but when I first started, I was clueless and lost. And there was a book I got called Story from Shakespeare by Marset Shoot. And what it was, was it was about a 10 to 15 page description of the play that you were going to see. So it gave you an introduction so that when you started listening to the play and watching the play, it you, you had enough background that it made sense to you. And then you could really focus on the words and, and the things that the characters were saying in those plays. So it made it accessible for me. Well, just think what's out there today. Okay, there's I can remember this book, probably still have a copy on myself, 24-Hour Book of Mormon. And it's basically someone who did, uh, you know, just a very brief recantation of what every chapter in the Book of Mormon is about. If you don't have any familiarity, there's a good starting point. Seminaries and institute manuals are great resources to have side by side. You know, if you have a question, there are lots of great commentaries out there. Uh, I was down with my son. There's a fellow, and he's an illustrator, and I think he's a seminaries and institutes teacher. But he does these, he draws the cartoons, and so the kids are right there with their parents, and they're watching the story being drawn and talking about it right there with your children. And it's quite delightful, actually, and it's quite informative. Um, as I mentioned, the podcast, the Book of Mormon stories are a little cartoon version you can read with your kids. There's so much out there that can get us started. And then there is so much available to us so that when we're doing mundane tasks or whatever it might be, or when we have time driving in the car, or when we have just some dead space while we're sitting in the doctor's office wondering what to do, where we can really grow closer and better understand this wonderful book, the Book of Mormon. So start with those. Um, you know, there's different series that are quite basic introductions. And start with those if that's the starting point that you need to make. But make sure that you are always reading the book itself because that's where the power is going to come into your lives. All these evidences aside, which they are replete these days, and they just cannot. There's no sustainable argument really against the Book of Mormon to my mind. I've read plenty of the arguments, but I've seen plenty of the evidence to show the veracity of the book. But the real power of the book is in reading the book yourself. And it may be a little tricky at first because the language is archaic. So take some time to get steeped in it, read it over and over, read it side by side with commentaries that will help you better understand it. And you'll fall in love with the book and it will change your life. Uh, and, and to Chris's point, uh, I got through the entire Old Testament last year in six months just by listening to it on my iPhone while I walked my dog each morning. Uh, now, of course, I've, I've been through the Old Testament before, so I, it wasn't like I needed commentary or whatever there. I knew what I was listening to. But <clears throat> I've, I've, done, I've done the same thing with the Book of Mormon. Back when I lived in Colorado, I had the Book of Mormon on shuffle on my iPhone, and I would plug it into the car. And when I was running errands, I'd listen to random chapters coming up and mentally try to see how quickly I could guess exactly which book it was in. Uh, it would announce, of course, a chapter number, but it, it made me look at it differently. In other words, I, each time a new chapter would come up, 
randomly, it's like, okay, what are they talking about? I'd have to remember, recall stuff, and so on. Uh, I will also recommend, which recently published from uh, Oxford University Press, the annotated Book of Mormon by Grant Hardy, mm-hmm. uh, is a great single-volume study guide you can have. Uh, and of course, <laughs> of course, Robert and I'll keep plugging <coughs> Brent Gardner's six-volume. If you really want to get mm-hmm. serious. Mm-hmm. This is really the best. I've literally been through all six volumes three times. And Brand, if you listen to this, you owe royalties. Yeah, yeah, Brand. <laughs> we're plugging. I, we're plugging you here. I, I stumbled on Valletta, and I didn't even know who he was or anything about him. Seminaries and institutes, but it's it's a lovely little commentary. It's a one volume commentary on the Book of Mormon. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not finding commentaries. I mean, Reynolds, you know, um, Noel Reynolds and his, you know, with the scholarly, he was the editor you know, revisiting the Book of Mormon, all of the um, symposiums that have been held on the Book of Mormon, all of those articles from general authorities as well. Uh, There's just so much out there that will help us better understand the Book of Mormon. Take advantage of them. A lot of them have been digitized. They're online. Now you can listen to these as you're doing whatever you need to do. But as Chris's point, the most important thing is the text itself. Mm There is a reason why it was written, why it was preserved, and why it was brought forth in these last days. Uh, it is to be a, uh, a second witness of Christ. And uh, the statement I always say is what I love about the Book of Mormon is, is I pick it up and read it, and it calls me to repentance. Uh, there, is, there is a spirit there that just makes me want to look at ways to change myself, uh, to have the Savior in my life more and to become more like him. Uh, it's true. The Book of Mormon is true. And there are a lot of people out there who will try to tell you it isn't. It is a true volume of Scripture. This is an actual historical record of ancient people talking about actual eternal gospel truths. And it is why it is so critical that we understand it, because it was written for our day. And it is a survival guide spiritually uh, for the last days here. Robert, thoughts? Um, yeah, just the, uh, these sources should be seen as secondary sources. Like, of course, you have to delve into the Book of Mormon text itself. If not, it's kind of meaningless. But um, hopefully this will spur on some people actually, even if just the free resources, to actually delve more into the Book of Mormon, have a better appreciation of its historicity and its theology and its doctrine and so forth. You know, Martin? It, it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say one last thing. It really is, in, for, my, for my life, the scriptures themselves, but the Book of Mormon, because of its clarity and oftentimes its simplicity in articulating doctrine, it's the polar star for navigating a very, very confused world that we live in that will help us and that will lead us back to Jesus Christ. And I can't tell you the kind of transformation that will come into your life that certainly has come into my life. I shudder sometimes thinking where I was at points in my life and where I would be without the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if it was so important that Lehi sent his sons back to get the brass plates and putting their lives on the line, everything that was important, you know, his sons back to get that book, that they had that record, it is equally or more necessary that we have that you know, book of scripture in our lives today and that we study it and that we make it, you know, and that we just make a place for it in our heart and that we use it as a guide because that's what it is. It's a guide for me as to changes I need to make in my life and practices that I need to follow so that I'm a better disciple of Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how grateful I am for this book and how much I love it. And that wraps up 
tonight's broadcast, imaginary broadcast of the Interpreter Radio Show. Uh, we thank Martin Tanner for making this all possible on uh, due to various technical issues that we're facing. Chris Fredrickson, Rob Royland, I'm Bruce Webster. Be sure to tune in next week on K Talk Radio at the usual time, 7 p.m., for the uh, the next group to talk about these things. Thank you very much. <laughs>